You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome to another edition of Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined by Derek Young from K-State Online, Cole Manbeck, former B-Rider for the Manhattan Mercury. And we are here to break down just a wonderful, wonderful 42-35 loss to uh, the Iowa State Cyclones, in which K-State gave up five touchdowns of 60-plus yards. I think Jalen Noel is still running somewhere and is still probably breaking tackles as... I say this, and um, as such, look, it, it, I, I know that all of you are hitting the Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon and the 360 vodka to uh, wash away that one already. I don't really need to tell you this, but if you have not yet, make sure that you go get stocked up with uh, Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon, 360 vodka from our friends at Holiday Distillery. Great K-State folks who support our pod, so please support them as well. Uh, we appreciate everything that they have done for us throughout the year, including throwing an awesome tailgate, which I know sounded like a really good time, probably the highlight of the day for those of you that uh, actually braved the snow and uh, braved the cold to to sit through that thing. But um, yeah, um, Cole, you want to tell us about? Why don't you tell us about the tailgate? Uh, let's let's start on a high note. Tell us about what the uh, the tailgate experience was like with Holiday and Company. Tail, tailgate was awesome. Got over there at like 4.30. I uh, I saw Wyatt and uh, team actually roll into town in the 360 vodka truck as we were arriving into Manhattan around 2 o'clock on Saturday, and uh, they threw a, a kick-ass tailgate. Uh, met a lot of great K-State fans that came over. Probably didn't get to everybody that I would have liked to have gotten an opportunity to talk to, so I'm sorry if we didn't get to, to chat much with all of you, but uh, some great bourbon. Uh, I know I had a couple... Um, Vanessa, Vanessa even made it over the the first lady of three as She likes to now coin herself very arrogant. If you ask me, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, so she arrived around five 30. Then we had Curry Sexton show up. Everyone's asking where's Curry. Curry shows up, man. Then we had the real star power. Curry brought over Ryan Mueller. Uh, Zach Nemechek showed up. Uh, we had some former K-State football players over there. We had a great time chatting it up with those guys and uh the snow was coming down heavy it was uh it was just kind of surreal just to, to take it all in but bourbon kept everybody warm been holiday bottled and bought bourbon and man Wyatt had quite the spread and set up there with some amazing drinks Vanessa uh he, he made Vanessa a drink and she was like wow it's so good so um yeah it was it was awesome they a lot of people ask where you two were so I uh, I told her they, they understood DUI was in the box. I, I I didn't have an explanation for John. I didn't know where he was. So, I mean, I'm I'm still looking at. I got a bunch of stuff unpacked, and then I had to go get the rest of the stuff out of my apartment late afternoon yesterday. And now it's just all plopped back here. So the more I unpack, the more stuff is still here. So, um, you know, if someone wants to help me come unpack, then you know maybe I could have gone to the game. I'm you kidding? Me? You you tell me I should have gone to that. You tell me I should maybe, have gone to that. I should have sat maybe, through that. Maybe things are different if you're there. Maybe maybe Iowa State jumps. Maybe Matt Campbell sees you and you get spooked. Uh, I don't know. I'm done talking. Let's start there. I'm done saying anything about. I'm done saying shit about Matt Campbell. Like why he's the only reason Chris Kleiman has not lost four in a row to Matt Campbell is because you pulled out a one point win in Ames last year against a four win Iowa State team. I I'm done with that, man. I mean, I'm I'm kind of putting a moratorium on 
talking anything to Iowa State right now. I mean, look, like, obviously, K-State is, I mean, the history of the program, it's it's not even close. Over the last, you know, we addressed the other day, over the last 30 years, about a third of K-State seasons have been 10-plus win seasons. But, dude, how else do you want to try and explain what's going on here? I, he's got something. Campbell's got something on climate. I'm just, I'm at that point. I'm sorry. That was pathetic. That was absolutely pathetic on Saturday. The tackling sure was. The defense sure was. I, the, I, I guess, you know, even in like halftime, it felt like a little bit of a fluke because what they had two or three really good plays that were responsible for the 14 points and Besides that, that, you know, Kansas State controlled that game. And that even extended to the second half. I mean, it's going to be funny when, you know, Stats War Parker puts out, you know, the the success rate difference when Kansas State's, it's going to look like Kansas State dominated that game because their success rate still is miles better than Iowa State. So it's like, do we, do we really get beat that bad? It's going to be crazy how significantly it looks like Kansas State controlled that game just because... They they ran sixty seven more plays. They their success rate I think is like thirty points higher. But at the end of the day, if you can't tackle and if you can't prevent the explosive, none of that truly matters. I I've honestly never seen a football game unfold like that. So and to call it a fluke would be at halftime would be correct. To call it a fluke after the game would not. You just couldn't tackle. You refused to tackle almost. And at the end of the day, you're you're getting six what, six plays over 60 yards or whatever it was, and uh, Iowa State scores more points than they run plays. Um, I think it was over 15 yards per play. Just ridiculous numbers that that are kind of just new to college football. I think, I don't know that there's a whole lot of national people that have looked into how that game unfolded, but it would absolutely blow their mind. Um, and Kent State's offense, though not pretty at times, and even when it's good and doesn't always feel good, and I know Cole's made this point. You tell me before the game he scored 35 points, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. The I think the offense was fine. I think if there were, if there's somebody who should be more mad at the defense than almost anybody, it's Will Howard because Will is taking a lot of crap from a lot of fans again, which. You know, I mean, that's a whole we can talk about that later on. But some of the discourse again around Will Howard as he sits here probably at the end of his K-State career is is just ridiculous. I mean, it's, you know, it's turned into a Bruce Weber sort of situation where nobody wants to recognize anything positive that's that's ever happened for the guy and what he has done. But, you know, I, and he, I'm not saying he was great. He probably should have thrown like three interceptions. Um, but that's that's kind of. That's if we're being honest. That's that's been a lot of what this year has been for him. But he did make some nice throws in the snow. But just I don't. I mean, the defense has been pretty solid this year. Like I don't. You know, I mean, I guess if you want to, if you want to say like fluky sort of defensive performance, I guess in the snow, I guess didn't really seem to affect Iowa State that much. Like you know, they they weren't they weren't great, but they weren't giving up five sixty plus yard touch. I mean. Run down this list. It is ridiculous. I was looking at this this morning because I wanted to double check the five sixty plus yard thing. Seventy one yard touchdown run on the first play of the game. That's another thing. Can can I say some two years, two trips in a row to Manhattan? Iowa State scores on a handoff on the first play of the game. Like, can can 
somebody can you engage eight like you know back to the mandate can you do something to like not get scored on on the first play of the game like it just that was probably the problem though like i understand knowing that iowa state's going to run the ball every play so you think let's cross the line of scrimmage and that's the conventional wisdom but kansas state was doing that that's i mean rocco beck only three twelve times they knew iowa state was going to run the ball and they were crying line of scrimmage but you know, a, a strategy to sometimes consider, and I and I do think they went to this eventually, and it didn't help because they weren't going to tackle anyway. Like the Kansas State defensive players, I don't know what was going on, but they just chose that they weren't going to tackle on this particular day. But it's good to have guys back, even in the running game, just so you can cut off some of those explosives. And and but none of that mattered. Like, you know, ultimately it does follow fall on Joe Klanerman. It does fall on Chris Kleiman because the player's performance is their responsibility, and I get that. Um, so if you want to be pissed at them, you should be pissed at them if you want. I get it. But there wasn't a defense, a call <clears throat> on God's green earth that was going to fix what the players weren't doing right. Well, I just don't – I mean, it was it was senior day. How many seniors are on that defense? Like, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to try to avoid – using a bunch of names here, but, you know, I mean, there's a senior that should be protecting the sideline on third and 16 in a tie game in the fourth quarter. That play, I mean, of everything, it's 71-yard touchdown run, 77-yard touchdown run, 79-yard touchdown pass, at least the 79-yard touchdown pass, that one in the third quarter, I was like, you know, the way it kind of occurred, like, over the middle and you catch somebody a little out of position, that, that at least makes some sense. But third and 16, and you've got four guys on that half of the field, and you've got the sideline to use as a defender, and you got somebody over there that – what are you doing not using the sideline as a def- – I, I get – no, you're right. The, that, but, that was, that, that that was the – that was bar, bar none. That was that was the worst play of the game. I I lost it. I lost it. I mean, that play broke it. You were losing after that happened. I mean, that was – There's two that jump out to me. It's that one on the sideline that Jalen Mole gets obviously free when all you had to do is shove him out of bounds. It would have been pretty simple. You just got to do what you've done all year, right? Um, do the simple thing. And, and the second one was Will Lee's attempt at a tackle. And like you said, try to hide names, but like that one's just in front of everyone's face. Like he gave them like a go, go faster push almost well, – so- the, the funny thing about the Noel play is I lost it. Like I, th- I like threw up the blanket that I had or something like when I saw that he was going to get the first down and was just like, you know, what is this? And then I look up and the guys in the end zone and I'm like, how? <sighs> so I don't know. Cole, I'll just let you talk. I uh, Okay. So uh, let's just, let's level set everything because I was pretty, I was pretty ticked off uh, after the game. And on Sunday I was texting with Curry yesterday actually. And he kind of, uh, maybe kept me a little more even keeled and this is going to sound like a bit of an excuse and I really don't intend it to be that way it's the elements and both teams play in it but Curry said to me that K-State wins comfortably if not for the snow you know he doesn't want it to come across as an excuse either because both teams are playing in that but the thing about the weather it completely neutralizes the home crowd atmosphere and then the speed factor right so fluky things happen more fluky things in the game and, you know, so when you get bad weather like that, it just kind of, it, it, to me, it's always more advantageous. We were talking about it before the game in the parking lot. It's more advantageous to the underdog. Um, you know, I was, yeah, we said it on the pregame show. And and to me, that's the way that it also played out. Again, both teams are playing in that. Clearly, Iowa State yeah. was the tougher team when it came to those elements. It seems like Casey yeah. had some guys that didn't want to play in the cold. 
Yeah, because you're right. I do think the elements played a role. You're right. But when you can just push a guy out of balance instead of letting go him for seven yeah. yards, or if you're Will Lee and you just don't like try to speed the guy up and you actually try to tackle him, like those are the things that are unforgivable that I don't think the weather really plays a sizable significant factor, right? Because, and it, and this is why it's hard for me to like, and I know they're responsible for the performance at the end of the day, the buck falls at their feet, but it's even hard to like get pissed at guys like Kleinerman and Kleinman because like those are things that these players have done all year. It's not like they haven't been taught to freaking do it. And yeah, I got, I got a lot of, can, can I throw in one funny, I, I will, I will bring a little bit of humor to this. That will Lee play. It looked like when you're uh, like in Mario Kart, when you hit like the little, the mushroom thing that gives you like a little speed burst. It looked like he just like hit the Z button on the old N64 and just like took off like that. <laughs> that's what that looked like, man. He went like three miles an hour faster after Will Lee caught up to him and Lee gave great effort to get to him. That's the other part of the play. It's like he was all it has to get there like that that tackle though to cool's point and i'm not saying we don't know what's going through these guys heads this is speculation but it looked like someone that probably felt cold and didn't want to be out there yeah i mean yeah I, it, it, everyone calls out the effort on that play and i get it it looks really bad but he did bust his ass to catch up to him like he was running hard to get up there to, to get catch up to sama and then you know, I, I, I guess maybe he thought he was just going to push him on the ground. but I, I don't know. Yeah, you can't do that. But anyways, I, I'll have a ton of numbers for you guys that I've crunched from this game that we'll, sp you know, we'll spew out during the show. Many of you won't want to hear it. But I'll, I'll just tell you, Iowa State had one play that went for 70 or more yards this season. It was a 75-yard <laughs> pass at Cincinnati. They had four plays of 70-plus yards against K-State. Uh, Iowa State had four plays of 60 yards or more this season going into Saturday. They had five against the K-State defense. They had seven plays of 50 yards or more through 11 games this season. So uh, they were 126 in the country and rushing success rate out of 133 FBS teams and 93rd in the country in yards for Russia at 3.8. And I think, I think actually KSU fan Jimmy mentioned DY after the game that they actually were only a 25% rushing success rate against K-State, so even below That's their 30 their, their success rate throughout the entire game is shitty. They, yeah. their, their entire offense, and this is not to give Kansas State an excuse here, is like seven or eight plays. Yeah, eight, eight, eight plays accounted for 455 yards. And then and their they had, other... And they had 488. So 455 yeah. of their 488 yards. Yeah, so if you exclude the kneel downs at the end that lost nine yards, they ran 25 plays on their other... Their other 25 plays got 42 yards, 1.7 yards per play. But those eight plays that they ran averaged 57 yards per play. And uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll get into more numbers here as we go. But uh, 15 yards per play also by far and away the most um, by a K-State defense. Date, I, I can only go back to the year 2000 through all the game logs on sports reference. So that's 23 years. I'm sure that number goes all the way back far more. But, John, we were talking off air. You guys remember that Nebraska game, you know, in 2000 what 2010 lost 48 to 13 nebraska 2010. ran yeah nebraska ran for 450 yards in that game nebraska averaged 11.3 yards per play that's including garbage time but they averaged 11.3 yards per play in the entirety of that game in case they gave up 15 yards per play to iowa state uh it's the most in any college football game over the last three seasons and i only went back three seasons three seasons no fbs opponent has allowed 
that many yards per play. The next closest was Nevada at 12.4. Case they gave up 15. That's unreal. Like, right here's Taylor. I was reading it. This is Taylor Martinez's line from that 2010 game. And I'm sorry, everybody. I, you know, this was one I had just dead and buried, never wanted to come back to, uh, being someone that was in school and in attendance for this game. But Taylor Martinez on a Thursday night ESPN broadcast with the whole country watching had 15 carries for 241 yards. But, but somehow, it was it was worse. It was significantly worse for K State on Saturday against Iowa State. I mean, Abu Sama had 16 carries for 276 yards and three touchdowns. Like, and then the other one, Cole, that I thought really stood out to me is that it was, I, I think it was like five yards per play worse than the uh, when Kyler Murray put 700 yards of offense on K State in 2018, which is like the most helpless I can remember feeling watching a K State defense play like that 2018 game, which you know, I mean, the vibes were just awful. And- that entire season but that was the most like you know Snyder 2.0 down to the very end was still you know pretty feisty and not wanting to give in to anything that was the most like resigned he ever was after a game like 2018 that was he kind of had a quote I'm trying to remember what his specific quote was but it was something like you know this may be broken to where we can't fix it or something like yeah. the Murray beating down Bill Snyder to the point of being resigned about where things were at was like five yards per play better than what occurred on Saturday yeah. I mean we said yeah we, we sat in the press box together for that one in Norman. Uh, Oklahoma averaged 10.7 yards per play in that game. K-State 15 on Saturday. And I, I remember playing that game. Kyler Murray fumbled the snap, had to pick it up like two seconds later, still picked it up and had no pressure on him for like eight seconds, then delivered a pass for like 20 yards. For what it's worth, I bet that one was north of 15 yards per play by the time Oklahoma took their foot off the gas in the third quarter and just cruised the rest to it. Maybe... I don't know. I don't Let's, remember enough of my. I say that because this game is still like we just talked about. Cole mentioned they still had twenty two other plays when they're basically not giving up even two and a half yards of play. So that's not to excuse this game, but that Oklahoma game, there was never like the twenty two plays in between where you felt good about. There was not one play you felt good about until Oklahoma decided that they were done playing. Yeah, but I mean, it's still just, I think the point stands emphatically oh, that yeah. the context of it is that, I mean, that's... No, the context's perfect. And to be honest, in seasons that matter, and, and um, you know, some of the players and coaches from Kansas State history, if they're listening, they're probably get pissed at me because I say seasons will matter because to them, every season matters. But in hindsight, 2018, Coach Dyer's last year doesn't really hold a lot of significance or matter too much in Kansas State history. And then 2020, because of COVID year and everything that you had to endure, um, I don't think matters a ton, um, even if it was meaningful to the locker room to go through those uh, situations and experiences. The, to a fan and to Kansas State history, just because of the circumstances, circumstances around those years, I don't put a whole lot of stock into it because those are the worst defensive performances outside of this one that I can remember. You're talking about 2018 Oklahoma. I know the numbers aren't as bad, but in terms of a lifeless effort and feeling just like you're outmatched and you have no shot, 2018 Mississippi State kind of feels similar. Oof, well. yeah. So that comes to mind. And in 2020, you have both Iowa State and Texas. Um, you give 69 points to Texas, I think, um, in the, uh, one of the last games because you're playing guys out of position and because you're down so many players on defense. And you lose 45 nothing to Iowa State where they you know, do whatever they want basically on both sides of the ball to you. Those are the three that come to my mind, my mind as, or I guess four, as being the worst. And this one is in that ballpark, but this is the only one that's meaningful. 
to me and a meaningful meaningful game and a meaningful season uh home field apparel is the only thing that can save us i've got some home field apparel on today i'm trying to save my uh my mood with that uh make sure to get to homefieldapparel.com for their black friday sale that is still going on use uh promo code black friday to get 20% off even better than your uh, your typical discount that you're getting with the uh, the three mock code. So code Black Friday, get on over there right now to uh, homefieldapparel.com. You can get 40 plus different K-State designs, retro looks, retro logos. It is very cool. Make sure that you're geared up for uh, Bramlage this season. Would highly recommend that because uh, I do think it will still be a very fun basketball season that we have coming up. So homefieldapparel.com, you can even get a uh, Hawaii Rainbow Warrior shirt like what DY has on today, which that one's that one's pretty sweet. Um, I do I do like the old school uh, Hawaii helmets there. That's pretty nice. Homefieldapparel.com. Get stocked up, and uh, we're back in just a moment. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports mm-hmm. Network. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to touch on this. We we got off a little bit on the context of how bad the defensive performance was there. But yeah, when you talk about, you know, guys that maybe weren't as interested in playing in the snow, and this is where to me some of this does come back a little bit to coaching. And I'm I'm with you. I'm not like overly mad at Joe Klanderman or or Chris Kleiman or anything because of what happened necessarily. But I, I would say like sure as hell seemed like Iowa State wanted that game more. I mean, and it, I, I guess it makes sense because of the season that they've had and the position that they're in in case they was falling a bit short of expectations, didn't have the Big 12 championship game to play for again at that point. But, man, I, senior day, and you could tell 
Chris Kleiman, I think, was as upset about. I mean, he it was a kind of a weird press conference. We can talk about that, but I think it was because he was super, super angry. And I think a large part of it is because he knew, like, he's got this big senior class and, like, Will Howard playing probably his last game at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, and they go out on that note in that way. And that's why I just, like, I don't why, you Why can't you get fired up to play that game, you know? And I, I think there is, you know, we don't think there's a whole lot of love lost between the K-State and Iowa State staffs. Like, I just... I'm surprised. I'm surprised that they weren't able to light more of a fire under the guys to be as pumped up to play that game because it sure as hell looked like it meant a lot more to uh, to Iowa State on Saturday. Yeah, it's a fair criticism, um, and I'm sure it meant a lot to Chris Kleiman, and I'm sure he probably tried to get that through. But there's two things here. For one, is the one you spoke about already that uh, you kind of discovered at a time that you don't necessarily have anything to play for, and you wonder if that plays a role. And two, something I was saying all week. I've never seen Kansas State celebrate a victory harder than they did for Kansas when they beat the Jayhawks in the Sunflower Showdown in Lords the week before. And you got to wonder, because you're dealing with kids, and we've seen this time and time again, year after year, for as long as football's been around, and the best coaches haven't been able to defeat this, because you're dealing with college-age kids, kids that bask in the glory of those kinds of victories that are meaningful to them, and a little too long to where they don't shift their focus back in time. I've seen it happen to Alabama. You know, Nick say, we say, we say we, I assume you mean regular season victory. I mean, like they, you know, they beat TCU in the Big 12 championship game last year. Like, Yeah, I mean, when you have a game the following week that okay. you have to cover for in time. I don't think that this team ever recovered from psychologically the, the glory of that win. And I've seen the best coaches of college football history succumb to this. And I think Kansas State's kids, because they are still kids, Never got around to the preparation. Um, I'm thinking Iowa State close enough. But yet, I said this at the time, like, and this is not a shot at anyone, but you had players still posting on Instagram pictures of them laying on the ground on the Jayhawk logo and kind of taunting KU. That was Tuesday. That was Tuesday. Yeah, I, they, were, they were still thinking and talking about KU on Tuesday. And yeah, I think I mean, those kinds of things matter because time and time again, year after year in college football, you see teams lose that game right after a huge win. Oklahoma State, I mean, they almost lost to Houston after beating Oklahoma. I mean, I certainly think there's probably something to that. That being said, K-State is up by seven points and has multiple times, you know, opportunities to get up by two scores or get a defensive stop. And despite all of that, and I will also just say that tackling's been an issue for this team all year uh, for this defense. I think KSU fan had mentioned they were 100th in the country in explosive rate allowed explosive play rate by opposing offenses and and that number is only going to get worse and now you know in big 12 play guys k-state's allowing five and a half yards per carry a lot in big 12 play big 12 plays over nine big 12 games five and a half yards per carry there's several teams yeah. tied for 127 nationally in yards per rush allowed at five and a half yards per carry all right so this, 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 yeah. this defense has been one of the worst run defenses in america for quite some time now. They're allowing 4.9 yards per rush on the year. That ranks 108 nationally. But in Big 12 play, 5.5 yards per carry, if you extrapolate that over the course of the entire season, it'd be a tie for 127th nationally out of 133 FBS teams. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, to be clear, I don't disagree with any of that, but the, Kurtz's comment was about yeah. one, wanting wanting, get, wanting to be there a little bit more than the others. And I was pointing out two reasons why that could be the case. 
Uh, no, I mean, it absolutely could be. Uh, it's hard to read minds. I mean, you certainly see some effort plays out there that would seem to indicate that uh, one team wanted it more and one team um, was was playing a little bit. Look, Iowa State was firing off the ball. Listen, Iowa State offensive line is not very good. They don't have a good running game, and yet they get 287 yards on 19 design carries, 15 yards per rush. I went back through every K-State game log all the way back to 2000 once again for that. Nowhere close. Any opponent has run for that type of yardage against K-State's defense over 23 years. Right. Uh, it, it's just... Uh, you, yeah. To my point, I'll, I'll throw this hypothetical at both of you, and I think I know what answer I'm going to get. But instead of playing Iowa State in the snow with no Big 12 title shot on the line, do you think that would have been the same defense performance if they were playing KU in the Big 12 title was still on the line? Do you think they still do that if Kansas is the opponent and the Big 12 title still on the line? It's 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 probably different. I mean, I'm I don't know. That was like so dramatically bad. I'm just like, is there something to they didn't they couldn't prepare for the snow at all? And like, but I mean, no, I would imagine that you would probably get more effort. And, you know, you're probably using the sideline as a defender and not giving the Super Mario Kart boost to somebody down the field. For some reason, they weren't locked in. Yeah. How about this, guys? Iowa State's first play in K-State territory occurred with 1230 left in the game. That play, of course, went for a 33-yard touchdown pass. So K-State had to give up on the only play Iowa State ran in their territory up to that point, went for a 33-yard touchdown. K-State ran 31 plays in the first half alone on Iowa State's inside Iowa State 50. For the game, they ran 49 plays inside Iowa State's 50, or 48% of their total plays in Iowa State territory. Iowa State ran four of its 33 plays in K-State territory, 11%. Just another sign of the explosiveness allowed. K-State ran a school record 102 plays to Iowa State's 35, as you guys know. The 42-12 time of possession is the second highest in program history behind only the Bowling Green game in 2019. And the 32 first downs tie for the third highest in program history. Iowa State has 10. Just some numbers that are just a statistical anomaly uh, from this game. I mean, we truly watched one of the most bizarre, inexplicable games when you look at the final stats to what D.Y. and John said earlier. One of the most bizarre games and outcomes you'll ever see when you look at a box score. I bet I bet stats of wars guys success rate thing is going to show K State should have won that game by by thirty plus by the success rate. That's I that that is going to be. Is I don't know whether not to say fun or what to to look at this week. That what you know you had some Kansas folks last week looking at it where Kansas had like a, a minor minor advantage in uh, in success rate being like oh well you know this tells us what we I. Boy, you're going to really blow that thing up this week. John, John K-State allowed 1.2. I never use this stat, but I am for this because it's so unique. K-State allowed 1.27 points per play. Over the last three years in college football games, that was the second most points per play ever allowed by a defense. In all of college football over the last three years, Texas State earlier this season, Texas State allowed 1.31 points per play in a game, but only two Power 5 teams over the last three years alone, have even allowed over one point per play. And that's Vanderbilt at 1.06 points and Virginia Tech at 1.02 points per play in 2021-22. So that's way below still the 1.27 allowed by K-State's defense. It's just, it's bizarre, man. It's, uh... Dude, that is that is insane. Think about that. Every time Iowa State snapped the ball on Saturday, essentially they were scoring a point. <laughs> if they got a snap off... Over they were a scoring a point. Oh, yes. Over it's, a point. Yes. It's like, it's when, when you look at like Ken Palm in basketball, right? 
like that 1.27 points per play would be like the best offensive rating in college basketball, right? Like over, like it's the best. So, yeah. I don't know. I I mean, the, the, the other thing, guys, is like, We've talked about it this year, K-State's lack of explosiveness offensively. So Iowa State has eight plays of 30 yards or more, right, in the game. And obviously, we talked about the five of 60 yards more. K-State had one play over 30 yards offensively, all right? Like, it's a Ben Sennett 44-yard pass. They didn't have another play that went for more than 22 yards. Yeah. here I kind of wanted to touch on offense, if that's okay, a little bit. Like, at the end of the day, they probably did enough. I get it. And I understand – you only run for 3.9 yards per carry technically. So I understand why Colin Klein did this, but like Kansas State really had to throw 48 times in the snow. Yeah, I mean, no, I, w- I was a little disappointed in the ground game for sure. Um, you know, because I think the, the, here's the thing, like with, with Will, because he's, you know, it's such a polarizing topic and I'm just so, I'm just so sick of some of the discourse on him. Like people can't have a rational will howard discussion it seems like ever but if you're asking him to throw it 48 times in the snow like will howard this year pretty much if you're going to ask him to throw it 48 times in a game you're asking you're you're asking for like four turnover worthy throws i mean that's it's just again i i think if we're having a rational will howard discussion like i love the guy and he's done a lot of great things and he also you know you're gonna get four great throws but you're asking for four turnover-worthy throws if you have him throwing the ball that much, and un- unfortunately, one of those came at a really inopportune time late in the game uh, on the the next-to-last drive that you had. So I think that's that's a part of the problem. That is definitely a part of the problem, and that, to me, is much more back to effort, who wants it more kind of a thing if the offensive line can't produce more on the, the ground game. They were also having to go to the quarterback run game a lot and run like a lot of quarterback sweeps and stuff for Will Howard, which I don't think again, running quarterback sweeps with Will Howard in the snow is a, a great way to try and win a football game. Yeah. I've, I have a tweet out there and I'm sure it's probably people in Will Howard's can't all love it, but if you just, if you have Avery Johnson under center and run it a ton with him, you probably have more success on the ground. That, that being said, like, I guess to me that that's probably more of a winning strategy because I think part of the problem on offense is if you're playing in those types of conditions with a quarterback that has been proven to be turnover prone and I'm not trying to run him down I did, but he that those are facts he's tur- very turnover prone he's fortunate that he didn't end the game against KU with the pick six but if you have to throw the ball 50 times in the snow you're not going to win yeah, he he delivered. So I, I was pretty impressed early on. Some of the throws he made were pretty impressive. Like, I, and also like yeah. that fourth that fourth down throw with their own like fifteen or seventeen with four minutes left in the game or whatever it was to Philip Brooks. That's a long throw, a tough throw in the snow. And you know, not only that, Philip Brooks keeping his footing for that type of route. Yeah, you know, there were some impressive balls, but at the same time, the last three drives he goes four of fourteen passing for fifty yards, has an interception. Uh, an average is what 3.8 yards per pass um, something along those lines so and they score zero points over their last three drives and I, I guess the thing that bothers me guys just about the offense in general first of all it's a season worst 4.9 yards per play that K-State had they ran for 3.9 yards per carry Iowa State coming in was giving up 3.8 per carry so just a little bit north of what Iowa State gives up on average on the year K-State's longest run was 15 yards in the game on the ground 
But I, I guess what bothers me a little bit is K-State fails to score a point on their last three drives against an Iowa State defense that was on the field for 102 plays. Like, isn't that the time when that they should be worn down and you should be able to just smash it down their throat? Like, I know it was cold, so I know, like, feet, all that isn't playing a part and wearing you down. But 102 plays for the road team, that only has, what, 65, 70 guys on a travel roster? So they probably have guys that were playing 90% of those snaps. Uh, no, I agree. But that uh, goes back to my point a little bit. And I get it, it's because he probably didn't feel like they could run the ball well, but they were exclusively all pass at that point. They didn't even try to go back to the running game, didn't feel like. Yeah, and so here's, here's I think where the conversation is, guys, on Will is – and this, I don't want this to come across as cherry picking because Will was great in the fourth quarter against Texas, and he made some big time plays against KU in the fourth quarter. But if people dwell on the end of games and close game situations, they tend to nitpick the quarterback more. And against Oklahoma State, Missouri, and Iowa State, when K State had a chance to tie or take the lead in the fourth quarter, all right, two drives versus Oklahoma State, zero points, an interception, three of 10 passing for 44 yards, 4.4 yards per pass on those two drives against Missouri four drives in the fourth quarter with a chance to put the game away tie take the lead three points three of 10 passing for 38 yards an average of 3.8 yards per pass and against Iowa State the last three drives fourth quarter zero points four of 14 passing for 50 yards at interception you combine those three games in those situations nine drives three points 10 of 34 passing 29 percent 132 yards through the air and 3.9 yards per pass so you all, go ahead. Yeah. I said you also said like you did spell it out there, like it's a one score game and you throw in all those passes the last three drives. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. I'm mean, he he abandoned the running game. Hey, maybe maybe that's on me because I got pissed at Klein for abandoning the run game for not abandoning the run game earlier this season. So I can't have a book. Yeah, I, I did. I did, and that didn't. I didn't want that to tend, tend to be like I'm bashing Will or anything. I'm telling. That's why I think a lot of people think about that is like they think about late game situations, quarterbacks making plays, and they dwell on those situations. And those are three games that K State lost by one score. They finished one and four on the year in one score games, right? And so, but he was great against Texas in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he was. He was good. Well, at but times. let me. Let me. I will also. You know what? People are going to remember and dwell on too about the Texas game is that first and goal play where. He makes the wrong read on the run, and he maybe scores or at least gets down to like the one or the two yep. if he goes right instead of left, and then they they wind up not scoring. So even in the Texas game, there was another one of those moments. And so, yeah, I agree. It's it's all a very fair point. I mean, this year, they being in as many one-score games as they, they were, five one-score games, they only win one of them, like that's it's going to come down on the quarterback in basically every single scenario. That's how the fans are going to think about it. But, but also, you know, I was just seeing some of the dialogue online and I realized, you know, I mean, it's it's dangerous to read too much into just the most online conversations about people. But people just being like, you know, oh, this dude's never clutch, can never do it under pressure. I'm like, I mean, let, let's let's not, you can't just wipe away last year. You know, I mean, this is where I feel like the conversation gets so Bruce Weber-esque. Like, you can't wipe away the fact that the guy made a ballsy throw to RJ Garcia in the end zone in the Big 12 championship game to beat undefeated TCU to win a conference championship like that that still happened and you can't just erase that like it's not like his whole career uh that's been the case this year 
there were more instances where he did not produce in the clutch than when he did, which which happened at Kansas. And that is that is true. And that is a fair criticism. And I would not say that, like, the lasting legacy of Will Howard is that he was great in the clutch all the time. But you also can't wipe away everything else that happened. And it's just so it's so infuriating to see how that, you know, nobody can just have a nuanced conversation about it. It has to be black or white and just you, it, there's no in between there like we can have a nuanced conversation and say that Will Howard was a good not great quarterback at K-State who accomplished something that only two other quarterbacks in K-State history have and he played great football we did all the numbers last year when he was coming down the street like the way he played last year was like a top five to ten quarterback in college football when he was actually on the field playing and you can't take that away from him so just don't be stupid with the conversation around Will Howard, you just so many people expose themselves as this just narrative driven, like I'm going to ignore everything else just because I'm frustrated right now that Will Howard didn't win the Iowa State game. That's that's what I would say about that. Just a, a complicated career uh, because of how high the highs were and how, he, how low the lows were. You know, I said it what, multiple times throughout the season. He's a guy that runs a little hot and runs a little cold. And when he's hot, he's super hot. When he's cold, he's super cold. Um, through all that, he's a really good person. And, and a lot of people listening to this probably say, I don't give a shit about that. Eh, it matters still. He's a, he's a human being and he's a good guy. Um, but he's had a complicated career. He should be lauded for his achievements, his accomplishments, and and helping to win Kansas State a Big 12 championship last year. This year didn't go as what he would like, but he kept his head down and he was tough through it all, and and he will tell you that he didn't play his best football this year, I am sure. Uh, at the same time, I will go on the other side of the two just because I, I hate this premise that sometimes comes off. Like, Kansas State fans aren't unique. Like, and they're not a, the worst of the worst. Like, I, I hear this, like, what he goes through, and and and. And I get it. He he's been through a lot for a college quarterback. I get it. But every college quarterback goes through a lot. You know what? Bo Nix might win the Heisman. Ask him about his experience in college football. When you yeah. sign up to play quarterback in a major Power Five college football program, this is what you get. Yeah, I think that's all very well said by both of you. And Will came up clutch at numerous times in his career. There's a lot of pressure in the Big 12 championship. There were pressure. I think they had a stat last year how good he was in like third and long situations, third and 10 plus, and the passes that he threw and delivered. I mean, I think K-State converted like 50 plus percent of those throws with Will at quarterback. He, he's been a terrific representative of the university. I have a great deal of admiration and respect to him. And then what D.Y. just said, I, I completely echo that. Like it, it is annoying. Like there are some bad fans that go after guys on social media and those tend to be more visible than some of the others. But yeah, the, this, this fan base is no different. I've seen a lot of people saying like K-State fans are spoiled. They're acting pretentious. Like it, no, you're just living in a bubble. When you say that, if you observe what happens at all these other major college football programs, it's, it's far worse. Like just look at Nebraska. I saw these game threads on Nebraska recently like they i mean now they have reason to be pissed i mean seven straight years without a bowl now but like their fans just going nuts on guys so look look this week texas a&m got a coach out of there before when they were trying to hire like texas a&m fans just like revolted at the hire that they were trying to make and by the way they got 
kind of just like the same guy. Same guy. Like, same guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I and my only thought to bring that up is like I I hate when people bash players the, the way that they sometimes do if they go over the top. But in general, like I also hate the. I don't know if it's the, a little bit of a self-loathiness or other people that come on top, but like Kansas State is like this is a pretty tame environment compared to what else is out there. Well, it certainly is a tame media environment. I can speak to that, and I don't, you know, I was always a little bit sensitive to some of the criticism that would come to that of how local media covered the team. But I mean, it is true. It's pretty. It's pretty. You know, it's pretty friendly. It's a pretty friendly yeah. media environment to be in. It and it, is. Like, it is. Know, I would always yeah. bristle and get so frustrated with the, you know, we, we don't have to go back and relitigate the end of Snyder 2.0, but, you know, some of the issues that he took with the media there, and it was just like, dude, if if you were in College Station, let's just use A&M, if you were in Auburn, Alabama, like, I mean, <laughs> I would not be treated the same way, my friends. So. Yeah, and that's, and sometimes when I, I'm not, I know it's going to feel like I'm directly calling dudes out, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like the, the the players and coaches sometimes complain about even the media at Kansas State. I kind of scoff a little bit. It's like if if you dream of better, or if you you know, like you you would not survive in a lot of other places. Like I I covered I was at Ohio State in Iowa, and not to say that I was even not tame. It's it's relatively tame, but it's sharper than it is at Kansas State. And I, I get it. And the fans are probably like, you don't ask tough questions. Most of the time, I do not, and I will. And I will say I am very, very tame when it comes to the media, and I'm probably one of the most tame. But that's why I scoff sometimes at the pushback from players and coaches a little bit too. It's like, you know, you you get it pretty easy with us. Well, that's I mean, the the thing that I feel like I right or wrong, good or bad, that I'm most known for is the time Bill Snyder blew up on me. And that was I just asked three very calm, this sort of voice questions, just like asking follow-ups about the quarterbacks. And like that's what led to a blow up, you know. I mean, I think that accentuates more than anything what the the media environment is is like so yeah i mean look this is a very nuanced discussion about all things will howard and that's that's how you have to take it like it's not there's there's no way to just do this black and white hot take artist stuff that that happens on both sides of the aisle i completely agree with that i completely agree with everything there i get frustrated with the fan discourse about will howard but that's because they are fans and that's that's how fans generally act in k-state is not in any way shape or form unique to that i we i'll just point this out too the egg bowl right happened this weekend there was a uh screenshot going around of two guys maybe i shouldn't laugh the way i am at this but like a mississippi state fan and an old miss fan i don't remember which one was the one bringing in the police i think it was the mississippi state fan like he's arguing with a mississippi fan and then he like threatens to bomb the place and then like tags the Oxford police and the Oxford police were like, Hey, you shouldn't be making threats. And he says like F you, you know I mean? Like that's, that's what's going on. And then Ole Miss had Bo Wallace, their former quarterback in the stands, threatening to fight a coffee shop that was arguing with him on Twitter, <laughs> like threatening to fight a coffee shop, telling them what section he was in, in the stands to come up and like, so yeah, I mean, case, case state fans are not, are not unique. I have not seen anybody trying to fight Radinas in the stands uh, as of yet from the K State fan base. So I think we're we're still okay there. Yeah, that, I mean that's all I wanted to get across. That there's always going to be bad actors, but to, to say that Kansas State is some unhealthy environment that would be a false advertisement of the situation. 
Okay, well, as far as more bigger picture, I mean, here's the thing that sucks about it. Like, you can say, and Cole, I I understand what Curry is saying with that, and I, I probably tend to agree with him, that if it's not a crazy weird snow game, K-State probably does win the game. I, I would agree with that. But I'm also like, you know, I mean, we go back to like the 2020 Iowa State game, and I know, you know, K-State had like half the roster out, and Iowa State had a lot of luck that year with their COVID stuff, and, you know, you got true. But at a certain point, you just got to, sack up and find a way to go beat Iowa State more than you lose to them. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of tired of the excuse making with that. And the the problem with that loss is it's like, you know, you can be mad and, and angry and want it, but, you know, you, you have a month before you're going to play another game. And by the time you get there, this team is probably going to look a lot different than it does right now. And uh, just, you don't really have any shot at redemption here. And it puts a major damper on the end of the season. If you would have Closed out nine and three, had nineteen wins in back to back years. Even if you lose the bowl game, a shot at twenty, back to back ten win seasons, which hasn't happened a ton uh, in in K State history. Beat your two biggest rivals at the end of the year. Like everybody, you know, it would have been I think an, an adequate enough year, even if you would have been disappointed to not make the Big Twelve championship game. This just leaves such a bad taste in the mouth. It fires up all this discourse again that we were talking about, not just about Will Howard, but about. Chris Kleiman, you know, and I'll, I'll say this, I, I've got to give a shout out to our guy, Grant. Cole, I thought he he was texting us and I thought he had a really salient point where he said like, Chris Kleiman every year does such a good job at, at one point of making me think, God, we have like the perfect coach and a great staff and we're in a great position. And then also what is going on? Like we are in a lot of trouble here. Like there, and that is, I mean, even last year you had the Tulane game, right? Where you, I mean, we were checked out ready for basketball when we were doing the Oklahoma preview show and thinking we're in a world of trouble. And then they come back and win the big 12 championship game. Unfortunately, this year they kind of laid two eggs because Oklahoma state felt awful. And then Iowa state here felt awful. So it just, you know, it brings you back to questioning some things and wondering what's, what's going to happen here in the off season. It just, this game dramatically to me affected how I will remember this season. I would agree. It's a black eye on the season. The only part of me that says I'm still like not completely writing it off is that you did extend that streak against KU and what was the most meaningful sunflower showdown in a long time. Um, that doesn't make the season, but like, imagine if you're, you don't get that one. Right. Cause so that one keeps it still like right at the foundation for me at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably have to character it. I have to probably characterize the season as a as a disappointment at this point, uh, and I, you know, people are going to be like, "You're you're Kansas State. You should be happy with eight wins. You shouldn't have these unrealistic expectations." But when you look at what Kansas State did have coming back, and I know they lost a lot of star power, we were concerned about replacing a Julius Prince, a Felix, you know, and some of those guys at Dusman that they lost. They also had some key guys coming back, and uh, you know, a starting quarterback, and and probably just expected a little bit more from this football team and if they close out one more of those one score games and get over the top and they get nine and three and they go two and three in one score games versus one and four the season feels a lot different but you know to lose the Iowa State game in the way that they did it it does leave a really sour taste in your mouth and I think there is a stark difference between eight and four and nine and three and seven and two in the league look if case they would have won that game they would have had the best record of the last two years and winning percentage out of any team in the Big 12, they would have been 15 and four against Big 12 teams, including the Big 12 championship. And so an opportunity to win 10 games back to back years would have been significant and meaningful. Not to say like the bowl game isn't still an opportunity getting to nine and four, depending on who you play. But, you know, it, 
it also depends on what you see in the bowl game. Is it, you know, is it going to be Avery Johnson that gets a lot of the snaps in the bowl game? And some of these young guys, you know, to give you a hope and glimpse into the future of next year and use it as a springboard into the 2024 season. That That's where I think some of the excitement will come from. But otherwise, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a disappointment uh, for sure. I mean, eight and four. I think nine wins would have felt fine. Eight and four, just in the way that you played in that game, that's tough to swallow. Especially relative to metrics, I think calling it a disappointment is accurate. I think failure might be a little over the top, but I think disappointment is a perfect descriptor. You lose to KU, that would have made it a failure. Yeah, it would have been a disaster to me if you lose to KU and you have seven and five. And it's it, you look at all the metrics you mentioned why they all have k-state as like a top 15 team they have all season and it's just you know it's those one score games and not being able to get over the hump in a couple of those moments that are the difference between a phenomenal season to what feels like a little bit of a disappointment i i, I think it's probably time to turn to the climb and howard stuff right a little bit well yeah we, uh, yes also bull i'm sure people are wanting to know what the bull prognosis is going to be here i was also just going to say i mean i boy <laughs> the, the discussion we're having on this season man i don't we should probably send a christmas card to rich miller uh, for dropping that pick six man because i mean that's yep. that makes a massive difference in the season so rich miller my guy thank that, you sir and, and that's not to, to harp on it but that's another thing with like will Howard's like <laughs> while Everyone, we're like, we should give him more credit than he's getting. It's like, also, it's like, dude, you dodged so many other bullets this year. Yeah, I mean, look, yes, that's yes, that's fair and true. But again, don't don't take that then to discounting everything that that happened yeah. last year. But, and, but think about think about his legacy if he throws that pick six. I, I mean, that would be bad. That would be bad, and it would be really. I mean, that would have really made it. I feel like. Bruce Weber-esque like we're kind of already in that territory now but that would have been like the you know Bruce plummeting for the last three years that that he was here anyway uh do we do we want to touch on bowls real quick because the, I, here's here's the here's the thing to me I can't I can't defend if K-State falls to the Liberty Bowl I mean I I can't defend it I mean after that what, what am I gonna what am I gonna say you know you had all the bull yeah. reps and is there to watch the worst defensive performance in K-State history arguably um so what can I say? But I mean, God, you talk about a tough pill for your boy to swallow. <laughs> if this turns into a Liberty Bowl season, I mean, shout out to them. They're going to renovate the thing. The uh, the mock-ups look nice, but anyway, I, I'm not going to have to be there. So, you know, whatever. That'll be all you, D.Y., to deal with. You can have my obstructed view seat in the press box. But uh, I just hate that. We got to get... Your mark. Look, I got a couple bones to pick with you here lately. Get some new bowls, man. Get some new bowl agreements. Why did they re up with the same? I get the Liberty Bowl the hell out of here. I just, I can't, I can't stomach that, but it does seem like that's a pretty real possibility. I agree. New bowl lineup. Well, I, and I know Cole and I kind of got different things we're being told right now. Um, I'll start off. Brad McMurphy uh, has Kansas State in the Pop Tarts Bowl, and he's usually the one that's on the bowl stuff pretty well more than anyone. And he said, even in uh, a podcast I heard, that he was told it's a greater than 80% chance that Kansas State's going to Orlando just because the Pop-Tarts Bowl has been dead set on winning the Wildcats in Orlando most of the year. They were at eight games, which is a ridiculous amount for one bowl to be following a team around. They were in Lubbock. They were in Austin. They had no reason to be in Austin because they certainly aren't going to get Texas. So they, they've been dead set on Kansas State. That's still my impression. It's the impression that I've got from those within the athletic department as well. Uh, the Pop-Tarts Bowl doesn't want Oklahoma State. 
So that helps. They've had them twice in the last four years. They had Oklahoma last year. So even if Oklahoma fell beyond the Alamo Bowl, I don't know. Maybe they just take the Sooners because of the what they think that might give them in terms of prestige. But they just had them last year, and the Big 12 usually tries to prevent teams from going to the same bowl two years in a row. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, I think there's a good chance of the Pop-Tarts Bowl still, but I think it's largely dictated D.Y. off of Oklahoma and Texas get into the New Year Six, right? I mean, isn't that the scenario that probably needs to happen for that to occur? That that would make it a lock probably because the Alamo Bowl would just take Oklahoma State. But even if it doesn't, if the Alamo Bowl takes Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, I just don't know if the Pop-Tarts Bowl wants it with how much they've seen those two schools in the last four years. And, and because Iowa State has been – in Orlando twice in the last four years. So in that scenario, they went. Um, and Iowa State, I believe, even prefers the Texas Bowl, which will probably matter as well. Yeah, and then, so yeah, I I think ideally you would hope for Texas and Oklahoma to get in the playoff. Or if Oklahoma State, which I don't see any way this happens, but if they were to knock Texas off in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma, Texas, this would clearly still get a New Year's Six Bowl invite and Oklahoma State would get an automatic invite for winning the Big 12. Bottom line is... You, you, you feel good about the Pop-Tarts Bowl if two Big 12 teams, whoever it is, get into the New Year's Six. And so I, I think that's People without that, I think there's a chance, though. Yeah. So basically, if you didn't have enough reason to root for Oklahoma State to beat Texas to give them the middle finger on the way out the door, anyway, yeah. now, now you have even more reason to do that. But, but, you know, in a roundabout way, I would say Oklahoma doesn't have to play an extra game to get a potential loss because they still have a good shot to get in the top 12, which could give them a chance to be in the New Year's Six with an at-large berth because of it. And they should move into the top 12 with Louisville losing to Kentucky. But the only thing is, I think, is if Louisville, even if Louisville loses to Florida State and Florida State makes the playoff, is, is it similar to what the Sugar Bowl was last year and Louisville automatically gets in? I, I'd have to look at it if the yeah. ACC does have an automatic tie-in that's not a part of the playoff. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, probably probably a good chance of the Pop-Tarts Bowl potentially still, and then you probably play NC State, although NC State might have played. They blew out North Carolina. Maybe they go uh, of that. NC State, I mean, that, I tell you, it's not a sexy opponent. That's, that's kind of the opponent that I don't like because they're not real sexy, but they're good. I mean, I think they're pretty good. Yeah, they're, they're, they're cer- certainly they playing got, well. John, they got, they got a great defense, John. So they, uh, they're they well-coached defensively. That would be quite the test for, uh, for K-State and if they have a young quarterback playing in that game. Yeah, so, okay, consensus, it seems like Liberty Bowl or Pop-Tarts Bowl. I think that's probably, yeah. Unless, can Kansas State just say, F it, we'd rather go to guaranteed, right? I don't know. (laughs) Well, that that would be a move I would love. Gene, Gene, if you're listening, I know you're a big fan of the show. Gene, if that happens, please do. Let's just, just go to Arizona. Just, I, don't, just do I don't. I don't know if they have that luxury of making that choice. I I know, um, but you know, I just I had to say my piece there a little bit. It is Cole the Hitchens. lowest Big Twelve bull. Uh, our producer was asking. It is the lowest Big Twelve bull, but it's still better than the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> Cole uh, Cole mentioned that it might be a young quarterback playing in the bowl game. Um, that would be if if Will Howard has either uh, decided to go pro and just start getting ready there or hit the transfer portal. I think he will be the the highest profile of names that everybody is wondering about. And look, let's just, I mean, call it like it is. He had his press conference and gave like a, hey, thank you to the media. I appreciate all of you guys. Like definitely get every single way that he conducted himself after the game. 
Mason, shout out to Mason both who had the great shot for you guys at KSO of Will walking off the field and like stopping and looking back one last time as he was heading into the tunnel there. I mean, everything seems to be like that's that's come to an end. Will Howard's time at K-State here, correct? I mean, that's that's definitely the vibe that we're getting. Yeah, I'd be absolutely shocked if he came back. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to say beyond that. I, I think there's a good chance he enters the transfer portal. Like, I think that is within the realm of possibility. Uh, curious as to whether or not he would go forward with the bowl game, but with the, I guess, pace that I'm hearing things kind of unfold, I think that might be something that doesn't happen, but I can't say for certain. Look, we, we think Will is certainly moving on and regarding the bowl, it probably at that point makes most sense, most sense for both parties to kind of mutually go their ways. Will can find an even better landing spot by, you know, starting to search around and focusing on that and, you know, whether it's NFL or another college spot. And then also for Avery Johnson to get the first team bowl reps and all those practices and then get the start in the bowl game and kind of, like I said earlier, springboard your offense into 2024 get some of those younger guys some more playing time you know a Garrett Oakley at tight end maybe a Trey Spivey gets a few more snaps in the bowl Jace Brown obviously really has come on so yeah I, I think that would probably be the scenario that plays out and it's probably what makes both set most sense for both parties yeah I, I think uh it just would especially with what we're what directions both parties seem to be leaning towards and wanting to go in. I think uh, for a bowl game, I think you should begin that next path. Do we do we think that there, I mean, here's the thing, I guess the, the reality is there will probably, in college football in today's day and age, there, there are probably going to be, there will probably be at least a guy or two that kind of hurts that will enter the portal here, right? And so I, I think you're you're probably looking at that and some guys that it would be a little bit more expected that that might move on. I I assume you anticipate that there will be a decent amount of of roster move, roster shakeup before we actually get to the bowl game. I guess it would probably mean go back to how much is a decent amount, but uh, it's hard to know because sometimes the maybe actually I'll say maybe because lives like last year there wasn't a lot of it came after there wasn't a lot in general. To be honest, Kansas State's been kind of immune to that kind of turnover. I think there will be some. You know, every team loses the guy they don't want to lose, uh, at least one or two. I, I think they were probably able to stunt some of the the pace of a lot of it last year because of the the, the carrot that was the Sugar Bowl, right? Yes. Yes. So that played a role. I still think in the Kansas State world that they will suffer some of the same pain that every other school does go through when it comes to the comings and goings of the transfer portal. But I still think it'll be a good amount for Kansas State. Like in terms of, I don't think it's going to be explosive. Like Over half of college football last year was over 20. I don't think Kansas State's that. No. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that either. I expect there'll be a name that probably does hurt um, that enters the portal that you maybe don't expect this year. Um, and then maybe, you know, some other guys and it's probably a mutual understanding that it's best for both to split ways. And so there'll be some guys that uh, probably haven't played much or the writing is kind of on the wall that move on 
and there'll probably be a name or two that hurt. And that's just the nature of how it works. Uh, the Chris Kleiman press conference, you know, I guess we can, I, I watched DY, the video that you and Mason did right after the game where you guys hit on that. He ended his press conference with like basically the same thing Will Howard did, like kind of thanking the media for the the coverage this year and how well they, they treat him, which I guess he must have, you know, been in our heads and listened to that conversation that we had earlier about yeah. how how soft the media can be in, in Manhattan, Kansas. But um, I don't know, anything to read into that other than the guy was just like seething mad and trying, <laughs> trying not to let that show? Do we make more of that? <laughs> that, that gee... I, I, I try to think back if he did that any other year. For some reason, I think he might have. Um, I guess the one comment was, thanks for treating me well, because that sounded like like a past tense deal almost. Uh, with that being said, I know of nothing going on. I don't think anything is technically going on. I have asked a few people that would maybe know about that, and they think, like you alluded to and like I have written, that he was so seething mad that he tried to guard against it so much that maybe it came off in that form. Um, I know that he was pretty seething mad um, just from talking to people. I also was just told not long ago, and it was actually this morning, it was interesting, and this might be because of how angry he was, but I thought, and maybe this person that I spoke to just didn't see him, but they saw they, what they believe was every other coach. Kleiman was not at the reception afterwards. Yeah, when you have senior night, you have a reception afterwards with the seniors and their parents, and he was not seen. Now, maybe that was just by accident, but or maybe he was just so pissed off that he knew he probably couldn't hang around. Well, you know, the other, the other interesting part of the discussion that I will bring up, first of all, you know, as far as other jobs go, like, I mean, Texas A&M's filled up, Michigan State's filled up, like, what, uh, Duke, we worried about, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know what the the job would be out there. That Houston, well, yeah. there there's no current job availability available that, that would take it. And I'll I'll say what I've said all along, at least in close circles. I I nothing that I have heard substantially on any kind of level makes me think that Chris Klein is leaving. If anything, I've always been pretty certain that this is his last job. I think that's his intention. What I have always been told. Is that if there, 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 if if there is one job that he would leave Kansas State for, if and this is not a slam dunk that he would, they think that the one that would turn his head the most is Iowa. Now, that probably makes sense because of where he's from, obviously, and it might be something to keep an eye on because I I don't know Kirk Ferentz is really old, the longest tenured head coach in FBS. Um, and again, it's not to say Climate would take that job, but obviously he'd be near the top of their list of course, and Kirk Ferentz is definitely in the wheelhouse right now where him retiring at any point would not surprise anyone. Well, here's the, the way that I'm not so worried about Iowa this offseason because they did the whole, hey, we're going to get rid of Brian Ferentz thing, and I think like if, if Kirk were just going to hang it up, I would not think that they would have done that. You know, I would have think it, it, that would be a little more... I think he was. That was a forced move, and I don't think he was supportive of it, though. That's the thing. Okay, well, I mean, fair, but I also think that if they would have said, hey, we're going to force this on you, maybe you'd just be like, well, screw it, then I'll just retire and we'll not... Well, I've covered Kurt Ferentz before, so I will tell you that what he would do would be finish the year and then retire, if that pissed him off that much, because he wouldn't quit in the middle of the season. Okay, I mean, that, that's a that's a fair pushback. I was going to say my concern would be next year with Iowa, because 
it's going to be a new Big Ten. No more Big Ten West floofy schedule that you're going to get to puff up on nine wins and go play in Indy for. So, like, that that would be my concern is that he's, yeah, he's now had his son kicked out and he's going to go through a year where they will probably struggle next year because the schedule is going to get tougher. And then that may be the point where he's like, hey, I don't want to deal with this. Like, yeah. I mean, you can have fun playing Oregon and Ohio State and Michigan more often. And what's something to think about is, like, his son didn't have to quit at that point. His son's still coaching the rest of the year. So, Kirk could just continue coaching as long as his son can continue coaching. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, all fair points. It's it's on the table is all I will say. With that being said, Chris Kleiman would be at the top of their list. I don't know whether he would take it. I know some people think he might like eh, think about it at least. That uh, what I will say is Mark Stutes would be at the top of their list too, and he almost already left Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, Mark, the the story on that yeah, was hilarious. I, like that Mark Duke, Mark Stoops was telling people that that he <laughs> was leaving and that like that was basically done. But A and M saw the like Texags reaction. <laughs> like was like like oh well we can't do this so let's go hire the other seven and five coach from a basketball school in blue and uh, and they got Mike Elko. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Mark Stoops is the next time. Go ahead, Colton. Yeah. Sorry. Oh uh, no no I was just gonna say I. I... I, I think Ferentz will probably hang on for another year. I will say he he seemed very emotional after the game and his post game interview, uh, you know, about getting the ten wins, you know. But I've seen him be emotional a couple different times this year. Maybe that's just what he is. Dy, you've you've covered him. Uh, he's he maybe an um, yeah an emotional guy. Um, compare, I, they, compare, they compare him to Dick Vermeil because he cries so much. Yeah, all right. I would just say like I I don't think Chris Kleiman wants to coach more than maybe five more years. This goes on and on. If Kirk Ferentz hangs on another year, like I just, I have a hard time seeing Chris Kleiman jump for a new job and start over with Gene Taylor just signing the extension as the athletic director at Kansas State. I, I don't think there's a, a large reason for worry. I would expect uh, Chris Kleiman to remain at K State. Well, so the the other thing I was going to ask is like, if, you know, because we we know we know that he was incredibly upset after that game. You know, the last time you had a season-ending game like this, that was like really upset and like there were glaring problems with coaching. It was Texas where it was like that was the game that got Courtney Messingham fired, that got his childhood friend fired because of how poorly things went there. Now, I this is not about Joe Klanderman being on the chopping block at all. I want to be clear about that. I think Joe Klanderman's done a pretty darn good job um, as, as K-State's defensive coordinator. But, you know, I, are there other staff changes that could happen from this? Because we we there is a precedent for this. You have a season-ending loss where stuff goes so terribly wrong on one side of the ball that it caused a big shakeup that then vaulted K-State to the next level. You know, I mean, that Texas game sucked, but it was a necessary evil for a Big 12 championship. So, you know, throw that out there. One, I don't know of anything that's going to happen or will happen. No, I've heard no rumblings of it. Two, I I think Joe Klanerman is safe, um, and I think he deserves to be safe. Three, that kind of loss does typically result into some kind of shuffling. Yep. No, I, I think Chris Kleiman was mad enough. I think there could be a change or two uh, on the staff. And the, it shouldn't be Klanerman, but it shouldn't be Klanerman. Yeah. I don't, I don't no, think it's going to be any sort of coordinator type. I, I, I would say this, guys. Like I, I think continuity is a good thing to a point, but I also think maybe fresh perspectives and change also sometimes can be a good thing. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a great thing when they did it with the offense. It was a great thing when they did it with the strength coach and got uh, True in there. Like these, these moments generally have been pretty good uh, for K State when Chris Kleiman has opted to uh, to do that. So, look, we'll keep our eye on it, and obviously, uh, you'll hear about it on the show as 
as things move forward, I would just reiterate again, like, yeah, I don't, so just a little bit of Klanerman talk on like social and the boards and stuff. Like, I, I, again, I think Joe Klanerman has been a good defensive coordinator in K State. Like, I, you know, I mean, they basically, do they still have like a top four defense in the Big 12 this year? At least top half defense in the Big 12 this year? Probably points per drive, especially because you had taken the TCU and Houston games into account that were yeah. inflated one way. So, um, You'd like to see a little bit more consistency, but uh, you could say that about Colin Klein. I mean, think about the the, the offensive laid a couple of duds this year too. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think yeah, points per drive they were in the upper half of the Big Twelve. The pass efficiency defense heading into Saturday was actually the best that it had been in like twelve years for K State's defense, and uh, that probably changed with Brock Obeck completing 230 yards worth on 12 passes. So uh, <laughs> That's the funny part, though. I was worried about Rocco Becht coming into the game, and, like, I mean, his numbers look crazy, but he didn't really do – he didn't really have to do that much. He just kind of, like, would throw the ball five yards and let somebody run 70, you know, to run he, up the stat. Rocco Becht didn't really hurt you that much. The quick slant to beat Siegel for the 70-plus-yard touchdown to Noel was um, probably 10 yards through the air, and then the Jalen Noel one was a check down. Um, five yards and he goes 82 yards or whatever it was on that play. Jalen Noel in his career, guys, was averaging under 10 yards per reception. He had three catches for 160 yards. <laughs> That's 53.3 yards per catch for those of you keeping track at home. And on that, an appropriate way to uh, end this edition of Three Maw. Thanks to uh, our friends at Holiday Distillery. Get your Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon, your 360 Vodka. Uh, we appreciate uh, our friends at Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, promo code Black Friday to get 20% off. Make sure that you do that. Thank you to Nick Springer behind the scenes. For Derek Young and Cole Mambeck, I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to another Three Vaughn. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.